I'm glad to be here today. I'm glad the Lord has ordered our steps together. Today we start a brand new series. A brand new series in the book of Philippians. Our custom is that every spring we walk through one of the shorter letters from Paul. Our first year we did the book of Ephesians. Last year we did Colossians. And this year we're doing Philippians. And, and I've been waiting for this season to do this letter to the Philippians. The, if you have your workbook, you'll see that the title of this series is called Joy and Pain. And if you know anything about me, then you know exactly where that title came from. And if you don't, let me remind you. It goes, joy and pain. Come on, come on, come on. Sunshine, come on. And rain, sing it now, God's children. Joy, come on, come on. And pain, keep it going, keep it going now. Yeah. Kick, kick it to him, Rob Bass. I knew I was in the right church. I knew it. Some of our more Caucasian people are like, what in the? That's rap. It's rap. I know it. I think in song lyrics. I don't know why it is. I just, a lot of the stuff that I, that when I'm preparing sermons, it just kind of comes like this. And when I read Philippians in preparation for this last year and started my study, I just knew it was going to be a Rob Bass song. And so I'm excited to be in a church that doesn't judge me. Come on and would walk along this road with me, this letter, we're going to call Joy and Pain because it is Paul's most joy-filled letter. He writes this letter to this church in a, in a town in Macedonia called Philippi. And, and, and this town, this church, he planted somewhere around 49 to 51 AD. And when he writes this letter to them, he writes this letter about 62 AD from prison. He writes with chains on, and yet the whole tenor of the letter is just how joyful life can be. And I could just preach right there on that, which is no matter what the circumstances look like, if God is on the throne, you can have joy. And he writes this letter, and as we walk through it, you'll see there are some very significant conversations about pain about suffering, about enduring what feels like insurmountable odds, and the through line through it all is, isn't this good? And isn't that weird? Right? You ever have somebody write you, and they just like, man, everything is falling apart, and I've never been better. <laughs> You'd be like, um, I missed a page in this letter somewhere. But that is what the apostle is doing in this moment, is he's trying to get across this, this notion that joy cannot be beaten. He writes this letter to the church in Philippi alongside his spiritual son, Timothy. Timothy will grow on, go on to be the pastor at Ephesus. And he writes it to the church. In the introduction, we'll read it in just a second, he writes it specifically foremost and primarily to the body of Christ, the congregation and the believers, and then he includes alongside them the leaders and the servants, the bishops and the deacons, pastors and staff. And he does it in this order for a very specific purpose, one that we should all not miss, which is that um, the servants and leaders of the church are for the church, not the other way around. 
He doesn't write to his friends in leadership and say, oh, and you can also share this with a church. No, the people in lead are to serve. God's focus is the people, amen? And what he does in this letter is written to people whom he's already shared the gospel of Jesus Christ with. It's a furtherance or an illustration or an extrapolation of the tenets of the faith. He's, he's, he's writing doctrine for believers. He's saying, remember that Jesus thing? <laughs> okay, here's how you walk it out. And I think that that's important for us. We never want to be the church that just does salvation messages. Because I don't know about you, but sometimes I've been saved and then had no idea what to do next. Do you ever do that? You're just like, yes, I'm in. And then, <laughs> I guess I'll, what do I do, right? And so Paul's talking to those of us who have said yes. And he says, great, here's how. And in this first section that we're going to read, it's a greeting. And most people leave out the greeting when they study the letters. We don't leave anything out. In this greeting, Paul essentially for us models how we as believers can live together, can care for each other, can love, and can walk as the Lord's called us to. He's in just the beginning opening section of his letter to his friends. He's essentially painting the picture of just what's possible in this world when believers are united in joy. And it echoes a common theme throughout the life of all humans. There's a poet by the name of Langston Hughes. And he writes this poem that, that essentially asks the question that the apostle Paul would answer today. In his poem, it says, I dream a world. I, I dream a world where man, no other man will scorn, where love will bless the earth and peace its paths adorn. I dream a world where all will know sweet freedom's way, where greed no longer saps the soul nor avarice blights our day. A world I dream where black or white, whatever race you be, will share the bounties of the earth and every man is free where wretchedness will hang its head and joy like a pearl attends to the needs of all mankind of such I dream my world. Langston Hughes, one of the founders, fathers, and leaders of the Harlem Renaissance wrote these words nearly a hundred years ago and he is making the cry of the soul that says, I wish I had a place I could call home where things worked. It's the longing to find our place amongst our people. And when Paul writes this letter some 2,000 years ago, he answers it for Langston and for you if you have that same longing. The apostle writes in Philippians chapter 1, verses 1 through 11, he says, Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus, to all the saints in Christ Jesus who are at Philippi with the overseers and the deacons. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God in all my remembrance of you always in every prayer of mine for you all, making my prayer with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until right now. And I'm sure of this, 
that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Christ Jesus. It's right for me to feel this way about you all because I hold you in my heart for you are all partakers with me of grace, both in my imprisonment and in the defense and confirmation of grace of the gospel. For God is my witness how I yearn for you all with the affection of Christ Jesus. And it is my prayer that your love may abound more and more with the knowledge and discernment so that you may approve what is excellent and so be pure and blameless for the day of Christ. His prayer goes on, he says, oh, and that you might also be filled with righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of our God. (laughs) The title of our message today is Welcome Home. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we love you. We thank you for this, your word, and these, your people. Now, God, take this, your time, to do whatever you want to do in us. In Jesus' name, amen. You know, we don't write letters like this anymore. Do you know? We don't write letters like this. You know, most of us don't write letters at all. How many of you still write letters? Two, three, four. Isn't it weird that it's only like mostly women or scholars who write letters? (laughs) The rest of us are texts with no full words or sentences. When Paul writes this letter, he is speaking to a group of people that he has great affection for, and he's speaking to them from a place of experience. And he's writing to them and saying, hey, you should know that this thing we got, this togetherness, this is important. Oh, and it's vital. And I miss you. You ever watch those old uh, Civil War movies and they like, they do the scene where the lady reads the letter from her lover from the battle scene? Do you know what I'm talking about? Like she pulls it out and it, she, it my dearest Caroline, <laughs> it has been a fortnight since I have felt your tender touch, right? Yeah. <laughs> and I'm like, fortnight? There's emotion in that letter that comes through in just the words. And the same emotion in this letter that comes through. And it's meant to evoke emotion in the reader to say, even though we be separated, my love for you is such that we be still united. He's saying, even though I'm not at home, you're my home. And when he writes to us today, what he's doing is modeling the characteristics of what home looks like. Answering the question of Langston Hughes, how do I find a world that is suited for me? And so today we're going to talk about the three characteristics of this home, the body of Christ, the way in which God's best plan has been built for you and I to find our place in this world that's not designed for us. We're going to talk about three things today. It's in your notes if you have it. I'm going to walk you through it. No secrets. It's all right there. The, the first three characteristics of the home, of the congregation of Jesus Christ, is that we, we think the same. Number two is that we hope the same. And number three is that we pray the same. And that's good because if you look around this room, don't none of us look the same. Amen? Isn't it good to be in a church that looks so different? I love this church. Love this church. I love this church. I got invited to speak at this pastor's summit, and they put me on a panel about multiculturalism. White pastors always want to ask me how you do it. And I'm like, I don't, I don't know. 
A lot of people think there's a secret to multiculturalism. What do you do to get people from other cultures to come to your church? And I'm like, the same thing I do to make friends with people from other cultures, right? There's not a trick. It's like I'm invested in the lives of people around me, regardless of what they look like. And so when I say you should come to church, they're like, yeah, duh. That's what heaven looks like. Well, the church is supposed to look like this. You're supposed to be sitting next to somebody right now who's from a different world than you. And none of the characteristics of this world that make us the same matter here because what makes us the same is that we think the same, we hope the same, we pray the same. The thing that makes us the same is J-E-S-U-S, Jesus. Amen? I'm feeling the Holy Ghost. This is going to get a little wild today. Look, first things first, let's start with we think the same. Verses three through five. The apostle says, I thank God in all my remembrance of you. He's remembering them always in every prayer of mine for you, all making my prayer with joy. Notice the superlatives that the apostle uses here. He's saying always and all and every. He's saying, you know what? You're always on my mind. He says, because of your partnership with the gospel from the first day until now. He thinks about them all the time. Uh, I'm, I'm remembering a time when um, I was growing up, when I was learning to think like my parents. Our sons are going through this season where they're maturing and becoming more and more like adults. And, and, and part of that maturation process is, is thinking like we think, right? And I'm remembering a time when I was younger in the 80s, and, um, and, and, and there was this big debate in the public sphere about Dr. Jack Kevorkian. I don't know if y'all know who this is, but this may date me a little bit. But Jack Kevorkian was this doctor who was the leader of a movement that, that, that that pioneered assisted suicide for people who were suffering. And it was a big debate, and the world still kind of is. And I remember there was a news story playing about him, and, and, and the term for this is euthanasia, E-U-T-H in Asia. Um, <laughs> I only know this much. Um, and I remember hearing the news story, like you do when you're a kid, sort of sitting on the floor as the news is on and my parents are sitting behind me. And I remember hearing the story and then sort of listening as you do when you're a kid, pretending you're not listening, but totally listening. And my parents were talking about euthanasia. And they, you know, had landed on the side of like, I just don't think euthanasia is good. And, and, um, and I was nine, <laughs> so I didn't know E-U-T-H. I thought my parents hated the youth in Asia. <laughs> and I was like, do we hate the youth in Asia? The reason, <laughs> they didn't know I was going to tell that joke. I'm sorry. I love you. I'm so glad you're part of our church. Is because I didn't, I didn't yet think the same. I wasn't using the same vocabulary. We hadn't studied, we hadn't shared, we hadn't engaged in discourse around this subject. So when a new term came in, they were thinking one thing and I was thinking another because my understanding around subjects like euthanasia was limited. And the purpose of the body of Christ is that our understanding of supernatural things is not limited by our natural circumstance. So here I was as a child, just sort of like a deer in headlights, and I don't know about you, but some of us come to church, and they use all these big Bible terms, regeneration, salvation, sanctification, right? And you're like, no, what? 
Do we hate the euthanasia? What's going on? And the goal for us as the body of believers is to all land upon the same understanding about these issues. That's why we try real, real hard not to use a bunch of Christian language all the time. That's why I'm always trying to talk to you right in the midst of your circumstances. So if you're super saved or can't really figure out if you are saved, you still feel like you're in the right place. Paul says, I I think about you all the time. And you know, every time I think about you, I, uh, I just celebrate you in my heart. You know, of all the big words that we use in this faith world, that sanctification, all those things, those shuns, the one word that Paul uses is celebration. And couldn't you use a little bit more of that in your walk? Boy, that's what I want in my faith. That's why as a church, when we set out to plant this church, we declared that of all the fruits of the Spirit, all of the good things that come from God through us, the one thing we wanted to be known for was joy. I just want to be in a place full of joy, right? Because I don't know how easy your life is, but I have some rough days, and I want to come to a place where it's like, oh, thank God. This is good. I want to get hugged around my neck by Shay, right? I want John and the guys upstairs to tell me some goofball joke, right? I just, I just want to be in a place where I'm free to, like, kind of let go and giggle for a few minutes, right? Well, Paul's writing this letter to them. He says, I I think about you all the time. And what I think about is celebration. First things first. If you want to think the same, let's think about the ways we could celebrate each other. The church is overrun with ways in which we can criticize each other or correct each other or put each other in each other's place. But boy, if we could celebrate each other, wouldn't that be wonderful? If I could say, I see you. You look so good today. I love what you're doing. I missed you. First things first, he says, let's celebrate each other's. And then in verse four, he says, and also I'm praying for you all the time, all the time, all the time. You're not only on my mind, but on my heart. And I talk to him about you. He's clearly articulating the right conversations to have around the people in your life. Make no mistake. We all talk about people. Amen. (laughs) Then they get all quit, quiet and convicted in the room. We all talk about people. We just don't always talk about people to the right audience. You see, when you have an issue with somebody, don't you talk about it to somebody else? Rarely constructive and maybe never meant so that they can be grown or loved. Paul says, you know, I talk about you all the time to the only one who matters. I celebrate you when I think about you and I celebrate you when I talk about you. And even when you drive me crazy, you know who I talk to? About you? Jesus. So he can change you, change me, change us, so we can have the same mind. Verse 5, he says, you know, one of the reasons that I've landed on this place with you is because of your partnership in the gospel with me. Paul's actually writing about a financial gift that this little church gave him. Of all the churches that Paul evangelized and planted, it was Philippi, this small, meager community of faith who gave financially to him while he was in prison so he could continue to move forward. He says, I got to be honest with you, no one, no one cared like you cared. And that didn't go unnoticed. When I think about you, I'm just full of great, 
gratitude because you, you like, you see me. He finds all the, the power to celebrate. He finds the chutzpah to intercede in the joy that he's derived from partnership in community. He says, you know, I gotta be honest with you, you're the one church that makes me feel like we're in this thing together. And like I, Paul, though I might be a rebel, I like, I need you. I wanna tell you this today. We don't come together for anything less than a unified mission. Did you know that? Did you know that you, you come here Jesus is designed for you, the Holy Spirit's urging in you to arrive at this meeting point, at this moment of your life, is not that you might receive, though you will receive because he's good, it's so that you might be filled to carry the gospel and so share the great commission with the world. That is it, we are in this thing together, right? That's why many of you invited a new face today. And if you're here, you're like, wait a minute, did I get invited by you because your pastor asked? You sure did. <laughs> and I really wanted to meet you because this thing that we hold, we really believe it's real. And we're desperate for you to meet the Jesus we know. Yes. Amen? Yes. So we think the same. We think the same. 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 16, the apostle puts it so clearly, so simply. We think the same because we have the mind of Christ, which is saving the world, changing the world, healing the sick, setting the captives free. That's the mind that we share. What can I do to flip this whole city upside down so that Jesus reigns supreme? Amen. Now, you can't do that. Can I say this? You can't do that if this whole faith thing is just a head thing. You may think the same, but boy, if this is just here and never in here, then you'll never really have a desire to do anything about it. One of my big challenges to the church, and we're so blessed to have a church full of people who come from all traditions. We got Baptists and Pentecostals and Reforms and Presbyterians. We got people who look at me like I'm crazy and people don't think I yell enough. It's wonderful. Although everybody's learned not to sit in the front three rows because I do spit quite a lot when I preach. <laughs> My apologies. One of the things that I love about us is that um, it's not just in our head. And for others, it's not just in our heart. It seems to be that in Beacon, it's connecting we believe that this is inerrant and sufficient, that this is the words of life. Every one of them is true, especially the ones that hurt our hearts. We also believe that when Ty starts jumping and the pastor starts sweating, we're like, all right, here we go, right? That's the church I want to be in, head and heart together, amen? I want to know that I know that I know, and I want to go and go and go. And so Paul says it's important that we think the same second characteristic, but we have to hope in the same thing. Now, hope is an interesting concept. The Bible says, you know, faith, hope, and love, and the greatest of these is love. Last year, we talked about faith. We talked about how faith is not hope. And hope is a, is a fishy word, hard to nail down what it really means, because I think everybody has a different definition of hope. One thing I know about the word hope is that um, Hope is unique to every person I've ever met, and mostly hope is a learned trait. 
Did you know that you derive your understanding of what's worthy of being hoped in by the family of origin from which you come? Let me get in your business for a second, okay? I am married to um, a wonderful woman who comes from a different culture than me. And part of our journey of marriage has been learning new things about each other, right? I talk about this all the time. You know why I talk about this all the time? Because it happens all the time. We're married eight, nine, eight and a half years now, and we still are trying to figure out how we're figuring out each other, right? She's Hispanic, and I'm white, and I'm classic white. I come from a white family. Quiet. We're a quiet family. <laughs> Too much noise, we get confused. When my dad used to take me to school, he'd put the radio on. <laughs> it would be like this. My wife's family is Hispanic. That was her daddy who just said, Amen. They are not quiet. And my wife is not quiet. She's a wonderful woman. And you can hear her when she talks. See, don't get mistaken. This me, this is just, this is my anointing. This is my job. This is my calling. But at home, I like to be quiet. And she'll sit right next to me and the phone will ring and she'll do it just like her dad. She'll pick up her phone while I'm watching TV. Hello? I'm like, You're, the phone's right there. Why are you yelling? You don't have... And I could never figure out what that was until one day I was driving with her dad and he's riding shotgun and the phone rings and he goes, hello! <laughs> We're learning to walk this road together. Because much of who you are, much of who you become, much of what you walk out in your day to day, it comes from the family from which you emanate as well. And hope is one of those things too. Did you know that many of our families hope money you may come from a family where money is the primary conversation you may you may come from a family where success is what we hope in oh that i might achieve your conversations have all been about what you will become what you will accomplish what you will do you're really celebrated for what you're in right now it's what will you do for me next your hope is in what is built you might come from a family where hope is family everything is about us anything outside of us we're unsure of we keep everything insular it's us us and only us you might come from a family who hopefully have taught you our hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. But I hate to break it to you, most of us are not. So when the pastor tells you you can hope on Jesus, well, I, <laughs> you can't. Because I've never seen that before. I've never seen my parents say that before. 
When my dad lost his job, he didn't say, son, it's going to be okay. We'll trust in Jesus. When my mother fell down and she was sick and it looked like the end, she said, son, don't you worry. It's just about Jesus. He'll make a way when there is no way. Many of us have walked through journeys and times in our lives when our family demonstrated through crisis and trouble what's worth being hoped in. It's either money or success or this or that, but most of us didn't get a family that said, just trust Jesus. He's faithful to the end. And so that's why it's so hard for us to walk out of that into a community of faith where we say it's just Jesus. That's why it's hard. But that's why we do this together so that you can learn, hear me, on the fly. (laughs) Wish that you could come to Beacon on the first day and I'd be like, just trust him. And you're like, got it. No, usually you come and I go, just trust him. And you go, okay. And then life happens. Just this week, one of the members of our team, car accident, car totaled. It's like the fifth one that's happened this year. Every one of them has walked away unscathed despite absolute disaster to their vehicle. Amen? And circumstances like that have an uncanny knack of helping us to go, oh, Jesus. First thing we got this morning, that morning of the, of the crash with Liv. Liv gets in an accident and she says in a group text, because all of our groups are in the app. You need the app. Just don't let me. She texts all the leaders and she says, I got in a horrible accident today, period. But God is so good, period. Amen. I mean, I read that and I was like, come on, somebody. Woo! It's working. It's working. It's working. We're getting to a place where we're understanding no matter what comes my way, my God is in control. And on that solid rock, I'll stand. I want to tell you today that if you're not at that place, God will get you there. And it may not be easy. But it'll be worth it. Oh, that you could be in that place right now. To know, I, I don't really care what happens. My God's on the throne. Amen? It's that we might have the same hope. He says um, in verse 6, this much I know is true. I am sure of this, that God who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Christ Jesus. You've heard that verse before. Doesn't that feel good? Those are the things we get to say to each other in the church. And some people call them cliche verses, and I don't care what you call them, they work. Amen. You ever have somebody read Romans 8, 28? For he'll work all things together for your good. And you're like, woo, I need that. Say it again. Come on, one more time. There are some parts of this text and this faith that we get to share with each other because they're the words of God and they matter. They spur us on to a deeper faith and a better understanding. But you might miss the next verse if you just stick on that cliche verse. He says, I'm sure he's going to figure it out and bring it to completion. But verse 7, he says, and it's good for me to feel like this. It is right that I feel this way about you because I hold you in my heart. For you are all partakers of the grace with me. He's saying in this moment. You know that thing that he's doing in your heart? He's not doing it in your heart alone. 
When Paul writes to this church, he's painting this picture and says to them collectively, and I'm sure of this beacon, that he who began a good work in you and you and you and you and you and you and all of you, the thing he's doing in you, he is guaranteed to bring it about. And the way he'll do it is through one another. You think you're all alone in this journey of faith. You think the conversations that you have with him, the late midnight hour prayers, the struggles, the strife, the worry, the fear, the anxiety, the desperate cries that say, God, save me and take me out of this thing. You think that he's the only one that hears that. You think you're all by yourself. But he says, don't you understand? I put you in one body that you'd all be one larger organism. So when you cry out for help, your neighbor can hear you and help. Paul writes to you and he says, we're in this Together, you are partakers of the same grace as me, which is good for you because I need a lot of grace. And I'm hoping some of that will overflow on you. And it does. He says, it's good for me to feel this way. You're partakers of the grace with me, both in my imprisonment and in my defense and in my confirmation. For God is my witness how I yearn for you with the affection of Jesus Christ. You know the thing that holds us bound together, the thing that makes this all work as one big machine, is the love of Jesus Christ that goes into us and then out of us. You ever, you ever been to Beacon and someone you didn't know just gave you like a great hug, high five, or smile, right? Can I break something to you? They are not as nice at work. Amen. And they'll do the first. No, I am not. No. It is the affection of Jesus Christ here in this room that is sparked when I'm in the presence of other believers. And I begin to demonstrate the fruits, joy, love, peace, patience. It happens right here. Now, you should be convicted. You need to be nice to the people at your job. Amen. But I need you to understand something special is happening here you know how I know? Because some of the meanest dudes are in this church. Some of the toughest, most feared men I know come to this church, and I've watched the Lord transform their hearts. I've seen one of the most, some of the most hopeless causes be transformed. I've watched people who had no home find a home and then invite others to make this place their home. I have seen the Lord work miracles. The promises in Acts chapter 2, when it describes what the church looks like, it says it's the only place where signs and wonders and miracles are promised. And I want to testify to you today, I have seen it with my own life. That's why I'll give my whole life to this place. Because in this room right now is a walking miracle sitting next to you. And if it's not you, then guess what? You're next. You are next. If you'll let him do it. Let me say it like this. If you'll let us let him do it with you. Because you're not in this thing alone. Amen? We think the same. We hope the same. Hebrews 10, 23 says, hold fast to the hope because he who promised is faithful. Are you faithful? Is he faithful? Isn't that good? He's never late. Come on. He's always on time. He's always in control. And he's always good. And he is worthy of our very best. 
So Paul gets ready to close this introduction to them, verses 9 through 11, by saying, we think, we hope, and we pray the same. Now, prayer is a funny thing. Prayer is weird. Am I right? Don't get so church on me. Prayer's weird. Prayer is weird. We think God... We think when we talk, the God who created all things can hear us. Isn't that weird? Maybe you're not thinking about it like I am. You know how I think prayer is weird? We have so many just different prayers in our church that I'm reminded of just how beautiful our God is. If prayer is real, and it is, and our God listens, and it is, I want you to think of just how interesting it must be for him too. We have people in our church who come from a more charismatic, charismatic background, and when they pray, they say Father God after every word. Do you know what I'm talking about? There it is. Amen, Father God, we just love you, Father God, and we just thank you, Father God, for the opportunity, Father God, to hear you, Father God. And I sometimes, in the middle of their prayer, want to be like, don't worry, he knows you're talking to him. You can just cut that part out. (laughs) He's totally here. We have other people in our church who they call him the correct translation of the way in which Jesus instructs us to pray by saying, Abba, Father, they call him Daddy. And don't even get me started about Daddy. I love it when people call him daddy. I also don't like it when people call him daddy. (laughs) They're like, daddy. I'm like, ugh. But it's so biblical. It's so good. (laughs) We have people in our church who don't yet know how to pray, and so they pray perfectly. I've prayed alongside men in this church who've just cussed their way through a prayer. And, and I say amen, and I'm like, bro, I felt that, bro. It was so good. You might want to cut out half of that stuff. But. And I'm going to tell you right now, Jesus was like, I felt that, bro. But you should still cut out some of that. I've been alongside people who pray, and they pray these beautiful poetic words that are that their scriptures reinterpreted they address God in the firmament of his power and authority they declare that the cherubim and seraphim fly around him declaring holy 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 they echo the choir and the posture of the elders casting their crown and you listen to them and you're like what is happening right now <laughs> and I've prayed my own prayer or I've just said can you help me? And he loves that prayer too. That's what makes prayer so interesting. It's like, there's not a prescription. He just says, I want to hear you. I want to talk to you. I've been talking forever, and the more that you talk, the more you'll get familiar with my voice. Just pray. Paul says a hallmark of finding your home is that we pray. We don't always sound alike. And some people in your small group are going to sound strange when they pray, but they're talking to the same God. And Paul shows us what to pray in this moment. I want you to see this in verse 9. He says this, Now, it is my prayer that your love may abound more and more with all knowledge and discernment. Our primary prayer for the life that we live and for one another is that we would grow in love. 
This is it. Hear me. I want, if you leave with nothing today, I want you to leave with this. The primary focus of our prayer is that we grow in love. The Bible says God is love. It says love covers a multitude of sin. The world echoes the same thing. The Beatles said all you need is love. In Frozen, they said love is an open door. You know that song? I know that song. In the 80s, Joe Cocker used to sing, love lifts us up where we belong. The whole world is looking for love. And God tells us himself, I, God, am love. Our primary focal point of our prayer for one another is that we grow in love. Why do we grow in love? Why should that be our prayer? So that, notice this, verse 9, he says, I pray that you would grow in love. Verse 10, so that you may approve what is excellent and so be pure and blameless. He says, my main prayer is that you grow in love so that you can accomplish our end goal, our long goal, which is this, that you be sure or sincere or pure and that you end up before the throne of grace counted as righteous. He says, I want you to end up, church beacon, I want you to end up with a sincere faith that covered in grace has made you righteous. And the vehicle for that is love. Oh, see, you think it's works. You think you need to do. Paul says, no, I pray that you love so that you be changed. Our long goal so that you're sincere in your faith and righteous before the Father, redeemed, restored, regenerated, and in good standing. And he says, love is the vehicle. Now on the way there, there are some other things he prays. He says, verse 11, also pray that you be filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and the praise of God. He says, I pray that you grow in love and I pray you end up good. But I pray that on the journey, your life is marked by fruit, marked by peace, marked by patience, gentleness, self-control, marked by all of the glorious things that come through Jesus and only Jesus. And that as you walk this journey and fruit is born in your life, that people see you. So let your light shine before men, that they see your good works and give glory to your father. The goal now is that people meet you and go, okay, tell me about Jesus. That's the goal. And you don't get to get to that goal unless you grow in love. Amen. That's why some of the people who are nice here but not nice at their job are having a tough time inviting people to church, amen? <laughs> but you've been there before, right? You know you have somebody outside this church that you just, I'm not, come on. <laughs> no. And the apostle says to you and I today, oh, that you would grow in love to them. To them. To the ones who betray you and to the ones who hurt you so that when they see your good works and you glorify God, they're intrigued and ask about him. And so that when you stand before the throne of grace, you stand blameless and spotless with no unforgiveness in your heart because you've grown in love. My invitation to you today is welcome home. How do you know you're home? 
You guys can come up. How do you know you're in the right place? Here's how you know you're home, okay? You ready? It's not that you look the same. Amen. Not that you share the same culture. Not you have the same job or the same income. You know you're home when you share three characteristics. Number one, you have the same mind, the mind of Christ. When you think about the things that Jesus thinks about, sitting alongside others who think about the things that Jesus thinks about, well, then you are home. Number two, you have the same hope. You know that no matter what the world throws your way, he is faithful. And number three, you have the same prayer. God, grow me in love. Grow me in my love for my neighbor, for my friends, for my church, and for my God. I'll put it to you like this. You know when you walked into somebody's house versus when you've walked into someone's home. My wife and I are in the process of buying a new house, and we've been touring a lot of houses, and they're beautiful, but they're empty. Amen? And you, know, you know what it's like to walk into somebody's house. Food's cooking. Your favorite team is on TV. Come on. They give you the big chair. Come on. <laughs> Sit here. Yes, indeed. And they hug your neck. And what you feel is not good decorating hmm, or an open floor plan, but what you feel is love. That is what the body of Christ is and was always meant to be. Welcome home. Welcome home. Let me pray with you and then we'll worship together. Heavenly Father, we love you. Grateful, grateful, grateful for you and for this opportunity to be in your presence today. God, would you have your way in our hearts right now? There are those of us, we know you, but we've been standing outside the house. We're ready to come in. There's those of us here today, we've known about you, but we've never even been on the same street. Today, you've pricked our hearts to find our home in you. God, right now, I ask that you'd cut through all of the confusion and all of the culture and all of the complexities of a world that says Jesus is irrelevant and no longer true. He said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father but by me. There is no other way but you, Jesus. And today is the day we say, I'm coming home. Yeah. I'm walking through the door. I don't know if I fit, but they said I could be there. We start this series, Father. Studying doctrine for believers, how we do what we do, and I could think of nothing better than to start and make brand new believers. You're here today, and this message was for you. You said, I want what that is. Pastor, I want to feel like that. I want to be in a place where I'm celebrated, where I'm loved, where I'm cared for, and even when I fall, I'm helped up, and I want to know the Jesus behind it all. If that's you, I'm going to come down here, and I'm just going to ask you, with every head bowed and every eyes closed, I'm going to ask you if that's you today and you want to say yes to Jesus, you want to come home, all you need to do is look up at me from your seat and make eye contact with me. That's it. I see you. 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 I see you, I see you.
see you. I see you. I see you. I see you. And I see you. I see you. He sees you. What a day. What a word. Father, in Jesus' name, there are those of us who've just walked through the front door. Would you enwrap us in your love? Would you remind us that though the road may be hard, you are faithful to the end. God, help us to be the kind of church that surrounds them with the same heart, the same grace. Help us to spur each other on to good works and to not grow weary. God, have your way in this place. In Jesus' name, amen.